I'm not going to win the Boston Marathon, not even on a rainy year. You know, like I'm just, I'm just not right. And in ultra, like most of the time I can be towards the top. So running in a marathon is extremely personal to me and the goal matters to me. So actually going into a race, even if I share my goal, like being on the line and remembering that when I'm in the midst of it and like realizing, like it took me a long time to kind of not feel this, I either explicit or just, you know, this reflection of kind of pressure to be like, oh, you said you were going to do this. Like, I got to go do say this. And then you get in there and something happens and you start panicking. And it's like, how about I just do what I can on the day, control what I can, run the effort. And I just found that in this training block, like I'm having the most fun I've had in running in a long time. And like, I'm, I'm still running on trails and I have trail goals. I have a mix of goals, but it's just the approach I think is different. It just so happens that I'm showing that in on, on the road right now. So quite a quite a range of distances, and it reminds me of Michael Wardian. I don't know if you know Michael Wardian, but he we interviewed him, and he does five Ks up to like a billion miles. A billion miles. No, I. And it, it's similar to what, what <laughs> yeah. your, your not your philosophy. Maybe it is your philosophy, but you can bounce around. You're not committed to to just 100s. Yeah. And then 10Ks, and then ultra marathon. You're kind of playing around with the lifestyle of yes. running. Yeah, and I just don't think that I. Th- if I reflect on like who I want to be as a runner and like who I want to be in the sport, I really like, I enjoy all of those things. And I think a lot of times people don't do these things because we're like, well, I am this, right? So therefore I can't do this. And I'm like, that's all self-imposed. Hey, hey, YT community, we're back. All here together for another episode of the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. This is the place where every week we reveal stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose, right? Those people said they sound so freaking perfect, right? But we specifically say it this way because, you guys, I can guarantee that none of our guests or the hosts of this show have figured it all out yet. But we are well on our way, and so are you, simply because you are drawn to this show. The Yogi Triathlete community is a collective of awake and ready warriors, all navigating from our unique perspective and rising up to live our best, and through that, create a better world. It's not a sexy process, and man, it gets messy, traumatic, and equally as gorgeous. But as long as we're in a body, I can guarantee you, we have more to learn, we have more to burn up, we have more to experience, and we have more to overcome. Today, we bring you a total badass in this school of life, someone who is so not afraid of getting out of her comfort zone, even if she's scared to do so. Although we may have just met in person, I've been following this lady for a while now. She's a veteran runner, a coach, a wife, a two-time Olympic qualifier, a winner of the Leadville 100, which I believe you did on a broken foot, yeah? Yeah, sweet. The (laughs) co-owner of the well-known MH Bakery in San Anselmo, California, and and an aspiring Ironman triathlete. <laughs> Devin Yanko, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and no pressure, man. We don't think uh, you've figured it all out uh, yet. No, you had me at messy and unsexy. I, that's like <laughs> my MO. Should have that tattooed right across it my is, chest. Though, you know, and, it, and that's the thing. That's what I love about this medium and what we created here and, and brought to the surface Um, Because BJ and I were willing to move through this fear of not being good enough, that we're not good enough interviews. And believe me, we've had feedback from listeners that we are not good enough interviewers, but we keep showing up. 
because we haven't figured it all out yet. And, um, and none of us, none of us have. If we had figured it out, then we wouldn't be on this earth school anymore. So I, you have shared your story, I mean, documentaries and podcasts and all of these things over the years. And um, I kind of feel a little bit like a stalker, right? Like I've been following you for a while. You're like, well, wait a minute, I just let you into my house. Um, but I do think that's such a cool thing about social media is that we can become acquainted with somebody's journey as best we can through what they share. And um, there's so many, I'm gonna link to some of those things in the show notes, but I kind of want to just jump from where we are now moving forward and let's start with talking about Houston. Where do you want to start with Houston? Let's talk about going into Houston. Like you were going in with a goal. So the marathon qualifying time for the Olympics is 2.45? Well, that's not a straightforward answer anymore. It was a straightforward answer until like four weeks ago, and they changed the Olympic standards. But the USATF standard to go to the trials is 245. To go to the trials. I mean, granted, I wasn't ever thinking that I would make it to the Olympics, but I go for so I can be like first mountain ultra trail person. You know, like that's my goal. I achieved that in 2012. I was like, yeah, I beat all the other mountain people. Right. And made, like only got beat by three fifty-year-olds. So I was like, <laughs> but you winning. Were, so you were going though for? Were you going for a two forty? So going into Houston, well, I have to back up kind of to like the beginning of time. So when I started running, um, one of the things that actually brought me to ultra running was the idea that I didn't want to get obsessed with time because. I, burnt, I played basketball and I got burned out on basketball in part because I had a very big focus on achieving a result, which was I wanted a good basketball scholarship. And when I achieved that, literally I had nothing left for like the thing that was supposed to be the goal, which would be having a college career, but I was done. And so when I went into marathoning, I could see how getting obsessed with time was gonna be problematic for me when my goal was to have a healthy relationship with running lifelong. And what better way to overcome that than going into a sport where people are obsessed with time? <laughs> yeah. And so, but, so I, I noticed after three marathons that I was like, yeah, every time I cut off like 20 minutes, but I'm like, yeah, eventually that's not going to happen. And then what? And so I actually, at that point, so that was 2006, it was a year and a half into my running marathoning career. I signed up for my first ultra and at the same time did my first triathlon. And I was like, let's just try these things with these weirdos and see which weirdos I like better. Um, and I just had a great, it was, I ran Headlands 50K, which was the national championship. And at that time, you know, it was just the community aspect. Like I crossed the finish line and like these legends of the sport, like were waiting for me and like, who are you? And why are you doing this? You're really young. It was like really weird to see a 24 year old doing it. Um, so, you know, I really got into ultra, but at the same time, because I came to running later, like I kind of still have a curiosity of like what my capacity is, um, in terms of competitiveness. And so I kind of, over the years have utilized different distances when I'm to kind of pursue a goal that is like becomes the paramount challenge. So a couple years ago, like I did three 100 milers in like less than two years and after that, I was kind of like, all right, I feel like I have, you know, not not to say you can master 100 miles, but I'm like, I kind of feel like, I mean, I won Leadville on a broken foot. Like you have a sense of mastery that's kind of like, this could be more challenging. And so I decided to go from that to try to not just qualify for the trials because I found in the interim, so I qualified in 12. In 16, 
I, going up to that trials, I had this idea that like, I've done this before, I should be able to do it. Like I took it for granted. It wasn't the right goal. So for this and for Houston, my goal was to run a PR. So I had run my previous PR at the trials in 12. So I had run a 238.55. And so for Houston, it was like, yeah, like the trials, that's a nice sounding thing, but like I wanted to bypass, like I didn't want to settle there because I had already run that time several times. Um, <clears throat> so I went in with the mentality of doing everything I could control to be in PR shape for Houston. And I achieved that. I had a great race. I didn't run a PR, but I actually had somebody like before I had even like finished the race, like message me on Instagram and be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I think that my splits had been off too on the website, but they were like, you must be so disappointed. You didn't PR. And I'm like, I ran the race I came to, like I ran the effort. I had the right mentality and I ran into a headwind by myself for 20 miles. Like I'm stoked. Right. And I only missed my PR by like 30, nine seconds yeah you were seconds off yeah like i would say that was pretty damn successful day (laughs) and the conditions of the day yeah you just never know what the conditions of the day exactly yeah i mean and like at the trials i had the benefit of one of the reasons why that race is so great for running fast is because you have the 200 300 best women in the world or in the country running with you so you have people to run with like i came i think that's the lowest i've ever come in a marathon like since I've been competitive other than like my first marathon. As far as like placing. Like, yeah. Placing. Yeah. I mean, I was 34th. Oh my God, those girls and are fast. I know. And I'm like, and I had people with me the majority of the time and that helps bring you to the next level. And Houston, I was just like 200 meters behind Kara Goucher for 20 miles. And then I passed her and then I was just behind nobody, you know? So, and so it's been more of the focus of challenging myself that way to see how fast I can be. I'm 36, soon to be 37. And I'm like, I don't know what my capacity is at the marathon. And like right now I'm having fun challenging myself. Like I ran, I realized it's my first 10 K since I was 12 years old, like a month ago, I was like, I don't know how to run a 10 K like, and I'm tired of just being like, well, I'm an ultra runner. So I'm slow. Like that's just a story. Totally a story. And I'm like, (laughs) I just, and so it's enjoying, you know, a lot of ultra runners get snobby about running on roads and I'm like, it's just a different challenge, right? Like, why are we limiting ourselves to this thing that we can find to be comfortable when there are these other things that, you know, are different ways of challenging yourself. And that's why I like ultra. And that's why I like running is I can choose all these different avenues. And it's not like I'm like, it, it, kind of what we were talking about with like diet earlier, like people put you, want to put you in a box. Oh, so you are a mar- like a couple of people over the weekend said that to me. They're like, oh, are you a marathoner now? I'm like, like I can open my spreadsheet and show you statistically that over the years I have done an exact 50-50 split between ultras and marathons, <laughs> like literally. So I just, it's, I think it's just an interesting journey. And also because I had had these mental blocks that were holding me back <clears throat> leading up to 2016, um, it was a really big victory to just get my head right for that, you know, because it's like nobody like I, I'm going to if I run a PR like it doesn't make me like it, it makes me a better than average marathoner. Right. But like it really doesn't do it like it doesn't. It's not I'm not going to win the Boston Marathon, not even on a rainy year. 
you know, like I'm just, I'm just not right. And in ultra, like most of the time I can be towards the top. So running in a marathon is extremely personal to me and the goal matters to me. So actually going into a race, even if I share my goal, like being on the line and remembering that when I'm in the midst of it and like realizing, like it took me a long time to kind of not feel this, I either explicit or just, you know, this reflection of kind of pressure to be like, oh, you said you were going to do this. Like, I got to go do say this. And then you get in there and something happens and you start panicking. And it's like, how about I just do what I can on the day, control what I can, run the effort. And I just found that in this training block, like I'm having the most fun I've had in running in a long time. And like, I'm, I'm still running on trails and I have trail goals. I have a mix of goals, but it's just the approach I think is different. It just so happens that I'm showing that in on, on the road right now. So quite a, quite a range of distances. And it reminds me of Michael Wardian. I don't know if you know Michael Wardian, but he, we interviewed him and he does 5Ks up to like... A billion miles. A billion miles. No, I... And it, it's similar to what, what <laughs> yeah. your, your, not your philosophy, maybe it is your philosophy, but you can bounce around. You're not committed to, to just 100s. Yeah. And then 10Ks and then ultra marathon. You're kind of playing around with the lifestyle of yeah. running. Yeah. And I just don't think that I... Th- if I reflect on like who I want to be as a runner and like who I wanted to be in the sport, I really like, I enjoy all of those things. And I think a lot of times people don't do these things because we're like, well, I am this, right? So therefore I can't do this. And I'm like, that's all self-imposed. You can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can do a triathlon. I can <laughs> try to swim and not drown. Uh, I can, you know, whatever. Like, and I think for me now that I have, I call myself super micro niche famous because people are like, you know, like just people, enough people follow me that I'm like, okay, I, I want the person that they see to be inspiring to the most, you know, to everybody. I don't want it to just be people who want to run ultras. Like I want to be advocating for everybody and like be inclusive and, you know, let what I do actually be representative of like the way that most people come to this sport, which is not as a professional, as somebody who's going to run 120 miles, who's going to jet set off to France for two weeks to, you know, run around the mountains. Like, it's just like, I, I think about like the everyday person and what they need to hear. Like when I'm sharing my, like what I'm doing, I I want them to know, like, I've gone through all those same things, you know? And it's like, just because I happen to be fast, like that doesn't actually change a lot of the, the day to day. The experience is is relevant to who we are, you know, and what our unique path is in this life. And like after all these miles that you've run, you didn't know how to run a 10K. And how many times do we hear people say, how many times do we hear people say like, oh, well, I just do 5Ks or I just, and and the first thing that Beej and I always say is like, it's it's not a just, it's not a just, it is never a just, like that's a big deal, you know, going out, setting a goal and and working towards that goal and achieving it is huge. And we learn so much about ourselves along the way, whether we like it or not, you know, whether we push against it or not. So you had mentioned like these mental blocks going into 2016. What changed, like, what were you, how did you remove these mental blocks? The first thing I think to mental blocks is like, you got to see them. Yeah. Well, so going into, so after Leadville 2017, I had a broken foot. I had to have surgery. Um, I came off of that like, oh, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to come out. I'm going to crush it. Because like 2017 to me, 
was reflected like 2016 I did Western States you know I was back I was back everybody you know in the limelight and so 2017 was disappointing because I was injured even though I won Leadville like I never felt fit I never felt really great about what I did so I came into 2018 like chomping at the bit you know my foot surgery went well six weeks after surgery I was back to running and pretty much out of the gate like I just got like annihilated um health wise and it turned out to be like almost a year long saga of just trying to unravel things that had been problematic for me in the past but like I I've had very few injuries other than the foot but like illness has always been my thing and it's always been like every doctor is always like you should just run less and like that and that's their answer and I'm like I like I understand what overtraining is but do you understand that I can run I'm still getting faster I just once I'm done running all I can do is lie on my couch like so it took a good six months of just you know spending all the money seeing all the doctors not taking no for an answer to finally get like I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's I had been hypo I've been on thyroid medicine for hypothyroid for 10 years but Hashimoto's is treated differently and it also means that what I do to my body makes it harder for the medicine to like it's just always a moving target um and I had just a lot of different underlying issues because with Hashimoto's you have like flare-ups like there yeah like different like your inflammatory it's a autoimmune yeah. and so just like the stress that your body's under so I think it was triggered because of the surgery and I like I said I went from on the table to running in six weeks and they literally like removed part of my heel. So they were, it was like, I had gone into surgery. I binge raced before it. And I was like, this will be my rest. He told me it's going to be 12 weeks at a minimum before I'm even like back at it. And then I roll out and he's like, you're a weirdo. You don't have a ligament where I'm supposed to. So you just have to wait for your stitches to heal. And then you're good to go. And I'm like, not even as somebody who is well-educated, really into health, nutrition everything like totally didn't dawn on me like how much of a stress that was in my body and i think that that's what really triggered like i ended up getting like a reoccurrence of mono which has happened over the years um i have really bad stomach issues my whole life you know i'm gluten intolerant like everything was just progressively getting worse and so it was at that time that i started working with a health coach mostly because it's like a lot of navigating like just dealing with yourself living in like a, what you see as an unhealthy, like your body's betrayed you. And so uh, actually it was a childhood friend of mine who's an amazing health coach, her name's Sasha. So I started working with her. And what I found was that the majority of things that we worked on were not anything having to do with like, what supplement should I take? Like, yeah. you know, like this quick and dirty, like <clears throat> hack it lifestyle. It was yeah. no like, oh, like, let's go into your deep, dark, twisty places and like unearth some stuff. Yeah, girl. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, I got this. I love self-work. You know, like I've, I've dialed, you know, I've always been like, I love to just bring it on. Like, let me face the pain. And then you're like, whoa, see, that is like anything that we have blind spots. And so just having somebody there to actually shine a light on some of the place, some of the things like areas I had told myself stories and like very firmly rooted some beliefs about myself, like that were influencing it kind of running is like how I kind of manifest my personality a lot of times. And it's like some of those things that I couldn't understand, like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I self-sabotaging when I'm running a marathon? Why am I getting so wound up? It's like, 
oh, these are based on these core beliefs or this grieving that I didn't do and this like thing that I have the princess and the pea and I put the all the mattresses on it and I'm like, I'm fine. And so doing that work kind of released helped me move towards learning the lessons that and kind of being able to even see the places that I was like selling out on myself or even if I like if I have a habit that's born out of something that you know I have some habits that are born out of really traumatic times in my life that like I brought into my personality as a matter of survival that don't serve me but some of those things I can't necessarily like I can't like just take a scalpel and get rid of it, you know? So it was like realizing how much I kind of like, if you have an expectation of me, if you're a person who, if you're a sponsor or you're my coach or, you know, somebody like that, like I want to do exactly what you want. I want to meet or exceed your expectations. And so I realized that there was a part of me that was sabotaging my racing because I was so self-conscious about living up to these expectations. Sometimes that's just something I created in my mind based on like the relationship that exists, but sometimes it was explicit. Like I did have sponsors say we like in 20 beginning of 2017 when my before my foot broke, my foot was injured and I had just started running and one of my sponsors was like, "So, you had your first run, so when are you going to race?" And I'm like, "I just ran like 3 miles." Like, would you like, I mean, that's like the worst possible thing you can say to me because I'm like, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. I'm not living. I'm disappointing you. I'm not living up to what I'm supposed to be you're doing. Not, you're not well, in the moment yeah, either. You're yeah. not thinking just, down the road. I would assume it just puts you into this seat of fear. Yeah. And in that fear, it's like, I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. And am I going to be healed enough? Yeah. And what if I lose this sponsor? And then now I'm losing my identity. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a super scary place to be. And so. We can um, we can understand like the traumas and the shit mm-hmm. in our life all we want, yeah. But until we take time to actually feel, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. It sounds so dorky to be like you gotta you gotta feel to heal, but it's so. In my own experience, in working with athletes, which is what I do in this capacity, and I love this girl Sasha. It sounds like she's really getting underneath to like unrooting yeah. what it is that's that is the fuel for these stories that don't serve you that keep you in this box that is keeping you from living your fullest expression so i guess my question for you is like as this stuff's coming up what how is she coaching you or what are you doing to actually be in that feeling of it for me a lot of it was i have really high self-efficacy and i have had that since I was a baby. I mean, you can go back, I can tell you all, I can tell you the stories of why, I mean, but I, in my life over and over again, my story has been, I'm in need, I have to help myself. There's no one there for me. And so when I came out of high school and as most, you know, you'll link to all the other stuff is like when I was coming out of high school and put my basketball coach in jail uh, for sexual abuse, I was like, I literally said this in court. I was like, I'm lucky. I can close the book on this. It doesn't have to be my life, right? So my my attitude was like, high self-efficacy right here. Now I'm just gonna fix, fix, fix. I'm gonna fix myself. It'll be all good. And what I didn't realize until I started working with Sasha was that that was just a way of surviving. Like I did the work, but I didn't ever really just like grieve. And so a lot of it was just like, 
I mean, the thing with you, when you work with somebody who is like that well-trained is like, you, you don't actually have to like work to get that out. It's just like, oh, you've hit like the deep dark part part and like some of the pain that just came up it was just like nope we just gotta sit here like when my mode would always be like all right let's start running you know? yeah, <laughs> like yes. let's start yeah. going past it like shove it down and i am a crier everybody will tell you that everybody's seen it in a documentary or in real life but that's different than like just profoundly feeling grief and so a lot of the process was being like it, she could acknowledge like, yeah, you really have this figured out mentally, but emotionally, have you ever just felt bad about this thing? And there were certain things where she's like, yeah, you've got that all figured out, but there's also an emotion involved in that. And that's been, that was the thing that I think I needed to, that actually got me out of the cycle of being like, learn the lesson, forget the lesson, learn the lesson, forget the lesson, you know, it, cause it'll just keep coming back around. And so that process, it just really liberated me from a lot of these beliefs about myself. Um, like one of the things that I discovered was that I had this, it was like, I feel like I had this stock exchange going on in my brain for self-worth. And it was like, I was constantly monitoring my self-worth with everything I said and everything I did. It was like, oh, that was dumb, negative five. Oh, I did something nice. Okay, maybe a half a point, you know, like where I saw, my self-worth is something that was a flexible number as opposed to being inherent. And so once that's why I was always trying to like be good to everybody, you know, like live up to this thing, be good enough. And then I'm like, oh wait, it's just inherent. Like I am enough. And that fundamentally changed, like it changed my running. It changed my, like the way I interacted with my friends and my family where it's just like, Nada, as Brene Brown say, would like hustle for my worthiness. And like that really changed that perspective. And so by changing those fundamental things, like it makes running so much easier because like running became this place. And most people, if they watch life in a day, they see like when I'm in the chair crying, it was like Western States was kind of like the start of this whole process because it's where like most of the running community became aware of like what had happened to me with sexual abuse. And it, just turns up like I hadn't thought of like it's not something I had been thinking about a lot for the previous 16 years and so I think that that started that process of curiosity just being like like when I'm running 100 miles why do I go to that really horrible like why do I go to this horrible place where I am the worst human on the face of the earth like why is that necessary and then kind of like working from there to realize that part of it's when you run you're doing something hard for your body you're your body will try to stop you. And how is it gonna stop me? It's gonna stop me by using the this mental energy that I have pent up against me. And so it's like, that's unnecessary. So you release that. Then when I'm running, I'm not like being like, my running is my worth. Like right. that went away. So it makes it, you're freer to be like, oh, I fail, I fail. Like it's right. running, nothing. Running just becomes something that's a, a part of this, yeah. this experience that you're having in life. And the thing about like processing energy and things like that, and we're, we're so good because as humans, we're hardwired to survive. So yeah. a traumatic experience, we're really good at shoving it down in the vault. Mm -hmm. But what happens over time, and I think you've experienced this, is that the vault starts to bust open. Yeah. Like there's only so many times that you can upgrade the size of the vault yeah. <laughs> before it's like, I gotta do something. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of times that's, we're brought to our knees through a health issue, through an experience that we have during a long endurance run. And 
or uh, in a triathlon or something like that. The thing about running and, and doing endurance sports is that it breaks our bodies down to where we do hit this vulnerable state where that stuff can start to move. Yeah. So moving the body is definitely a great way to process energy, but it's not necessarily gonna get to the root. Yeah. Um, so when you say release, like, and in those moments, like when Sasha would kind of be like, oh yeah, you got this all figured out, you know? <laughs> and, and you realize that there's like this emotion that's coming up. Yeah. Is it, are you sitting in breath? Are you just feeling it? Are you seeing the thoughts? How are you releasing it? A lot of it was simply actually just feeling something for the first time. There was a lot of like, wow, I don't know if I cried like this. Like, this is a different type of crying. It's like you're talking about tired earlier. It's like, no, this is a different. And it was a lot of just like allowing that. And after the fact, just, you know, you have the, like a couple days later, you kind of have that like emotional hangover and just really like <laughs> allowing myself to actually be in the emotion and i think that that's i think we're all taught to kind of like run away from bad emotions or like try to fix it or whatever as opposed to just being like i am in this and I, oh, like maybe i have to you don't have to explain it you don't have to like mm -hmm. assign all these things to it like and i've always been like the self-help guru where i'm like let's just like dig down and think about it you know like very like like why a lot of therapists haven't worked for me. It's just like, we're talking about the same thing, but we're not actually healing it. Healing it. Yeah. We're just doing the thing that I've already done, which is bring the awareness to it, but it's not the understanding. And so she, it would be like, we'd I would feel something. And a lot of it would just be like, okay, we're on a call or whatever. And I would just be, I'm just gonna have like a good 15 minute cry while you just listen to me cry. And like, and then the nice thing about working with a coach versus a therapist that I like discovered that I really love is that a coach will tell you what to do sometimes. A therapist will never tell you the answer. You know, they will never tell you what they think. They'll be like, I think you should figure it out for yourself. And a coach will be like, well, every human experience is like a lot of other human experiences. And this human experience is indicative of this. And this is where you can look. and you know, we would like, we looked at different resources and like ways of thinking and different prod, like different, we did different projects or homework assignments kind of thing that really helped not just sitting with the emotion to let it go, but also like getting rid of some of like the stories you have around it or like the beliefs that you have, which for me is the, 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 the hardest part is like realizing like, I'm like, okay, I don't actually feel that bad about crying. But then I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't realize that I believe some things so fiercely that for so long that I don't I just take them for granted. Yeah. And the thing is that you can create whatever story you want about yourself. Yeah. But we're programmed in this society to, like, not be enough and, and you know, need more. And I love Brene Brown. You mentioned Brene Brown. And she... um she talks about in I think it's daring greatly how she had like a total breakdown after that TED talk that she did mm -hmm. you know she does this TED talk and she's like you know maybe maybe a hundred people will live like uh, yeah. okay it's fine wakes up the next morning she's like oh my god what did I say oh it's fine like maybe 150 people will listen to yeah. it or whatever and then gets this email like you know we're gonna put it up on the website like tens of thousands of people <laughs> now it's probably like hundreds of thousands if not millions of people have seen it and it's like you said, if there's something that we're here to learn, it's going to continue, right? Yeah. The, and so we can stuff the vault all we want, but eventually our life is going to come back and give us all of these experiences to learn and to grow and to get to the other side of it. Because the fact is, is that we are enough yeah. right freaking now. We are worthy and strong enough to get to the other side. So do you think 
that what do you think about um, what do you think about this that we already have everything inside of us. Oh yeah, I, I told it, but it's funny because like, I would have agreed with you like two years ago, I'd be like, oh yeah, totally, totally agree with you. Don't believe it for myself, but totally agree with you. You know, like I don't, I didn't, I don't think I lived that until the last six months, which is, I think is, it's like, you know, you're always be, always learning. Like there's things that I'll go back through my notes with Sasha and be like, oh yeah, that was the thing I swear I wasn't gonna forget. And uh, it took me about two weeks to forget. But you know, <laughs> I, I do think- <laughs> That's why it's a constant process. It is, like it... but I think when you change your perspective from the enough, like just fundamental self-worth and enoughness, like as a full stop baseline, like that's not negotiable, like that's not gonna, like there's nothing more you need to work out about that. Like just you can put that in a box and keep it on your shelf because it's always going to be true. Like once you move from that place, like it's fine tuning, you mm -hmm. know? And I think that's for me, like I look back on my running career and I'm like, how many times would, there's plenty of things I would have told you about being self-aware throughout my career that I can say now is total bull bullshit, <laughs> you know, where I was like, wow, I was really thought that about myself, but, it but wasn't I wasn't bullshit at the time. No. And it was like, I was doing the best that I could with what I had, but like just even looking at the way that I was running for a couple of years, like just constantly trying to prove myself. Like I really, I didn't realize because I told myself when I started running that I was doing this because I love running and I wanted to connect with that. And most people would argue that I do whatever I want. Like from the, from a distance, they'd be like, you do whatever you want. Like that's, people would think that, but I still very much care. And I like had very much internalized like this fictitious audience of people whose approval I needed to get and keep, which you never, like you literally, I'm sure somebody asked you on Saturday when you finished your race, like what's next for you? It's like that mentality. You're like, okay, I did the thing. Look, I won Leadville. What are you doing next? And you're like, I didn't achieve the enoughness or whatever. And right. it's like, like <laughs> right now I just need to- That's the story everybody's on. Everybody's yes, everybody, jumping on board. Yeah, and everybody, and like we do it to each other. We do it, we do it in, some people do it because they're not nice. Some people do it accidentally. Like it's just a conversation piece, like whatever. But my running for a while stopped being my own. And even though I was convincing myself that it wasn't, the fact I actually had this realization probably last month when I raced five times in four weeks and like ran the 10K, you know, I was like, oh, <laughs> what are the two times in my running career that I had been the most fit? The two times when I didn't have a sponsor. And it's interesting because I realized that I'm just that I'm just that sensitive to that relationship and like it, some of those sponsorship relationships have been super like benign like they just send you whatever you don't talk you don't have some have been more complicated relationships and the ask is bigger and the relationships more complicated and sometimes they leave you in the desert at a hospital and they'll come back for you <laughs> sometimes uh, but I just realized <laughs> I have to say, and I know this is Are going we having, I, we need to stop and feel No, this? I mean, I, I, I just, it's funny because that, that particular incident is like one of the things that I feel like is like left, just got left hanging. And like, is one of the things that in my adult life has like been the most horrible experience. I don't know this story. What's this story? Like, come on, you open the box, girl. Uh, well, Let's get so I was on a, you don't have to name names. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, they made a documentary about it and basically so I, <laughs> the reason why the, I don't, 
it, it bothers me because, you know, we talk, talk about stories and like the stories from the different sides of this are so unreconcilable. Like, and it's like something that happened to me and that other people won't accept my version of the story. I think that's the problem for me. So I did the second or third version of the Speed Project, um, which is a really dumb idea in which you go, uns you go run from LA to Vegas. Some hipsters put it together and then it became a thing. What year was this that you did it? So this was uh, literally my foot broke the morning I went. So I was in agonizing pain and they were like, well, it's too late to get a sub now. Do you think you can tape it up? Let's go. Like, I'm like, you really can't tape up a foot. I, but you can try. <laughs> I was like, Let, what do I know about KT tape? Let's just put every single line. I like put some effort into it. So I, I will admit I was not, I was in a, going through a lot of hard things at the time and I wasn't my best self, but I also came into this as a relay. And so my sponsor Wazelle was, it was bird strike. So it was, we we're gonna go after the women's record. So it's six runners, 340 miles. We had like six crew and a film crew and a sponsorship vehicle and like all this stuff, like a lot of things going on. A lot and, of external pressure. Yeah, a lot of external pressure. And for me, I was the one who was supposed to be like the expert in ultra running, except for this wasn't that. Ultra run, right. And it yeah. wasn't, and I was also not with people who had experience crewing for ultra necessarily and so if i if this is an ultra my crew is there to take care like the runners and their needs like we take care of them first and we take care of the team and like the individual health of individuals is the most important and like like i said turns out my foot had broken the morning i flew down there so i tried to run on a broken foot i had to stop so first bad thing that happens is that 20 mile i've only run 20 maybe 30, I think I ran 35 miles total. And I was like, Ouch. couldn't, like I couldn't put weight on my foot. And so I was like, okay, just gonna go into like team mode all the way. And then like five minutes later, I started throwing up like really bad. Like I got food poisoning on top of this. So I am like, I am ashamed of myself. Like I am the worst, I am just dead weight. I, I am so upset. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna like, just put me in the back of a van and like nobody needs to take care of me just like, this I'm I can't I literally can't lift my head up to cheer for people so just like let me be on my own whatever well there's that self-efficacy yeah I'm just like it'll be I fine right anybody. like I'll I will right. <laughs> we're literally running like four miles an hour through the desert and I'm like I'm gonna rip my face off I'm like I don't care if I can't move this is so boring <laughs> and I'm like you know I feel super horrible because letting down a team is like that goes to like one of those like fundamental things that like it just hurts me and so i am super upset about that and then so i wazelle has a doctor on staff and i called her and i was like when do i have to work like when do i worry and like what should i do we're in the middle of the desert like we're in the middle of like death valley like en route to las vegas and she's like well Sin city she's like <laughs> Here's the list yeah. of, here's what, like, if these things happen, have somebody take you to the ER. Well, those, those, like, immediately all of those things happened. So I had to ask to be taken to the ER. So one of the members of crew took one of our, we had like five vehicles for one team. So they took me to a terrible, <laughs> the, the ER you never want to go to in Pahrump, Nevada. 
where I like literally I had to be like getting out of bed to be like can somebody help me and they left and she left me there and I understand like the team I I can separate from my own story and what I needed to be like you didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. make the choice I would have but this isn't doing anything for your self-worth no (laughs) so they're like well just call us when they discharge you we'll come pick you up you know because we're they're still going to Vegas and you know and I'm, so I can't even like get out of the, I mean, I also have a broken foot. So I'm like, okay, how do I do this? Like, you are a hot excuse mess. me, doctor. Oh yeah. You know, throw up on my clothes. <laughs> I have like, nothing but my wallet. Um, so I finally just asked to be discharged because it's taken me four hours to get two IVs and they're like, just doing nothing. I mean, I'm not a gunshot wound or whatever, like other problems they had. So I was getting terrible care. And so I was like, I called my team, the person who, and she's like, just get a hotel. We'll come get you in the morning. Like we're too, like they went the other way. Like they're, it's an hour drive. We need to be like, they wanted to be there for the team finishing, whatever. I'm like, okay. Well, it turned out it was like March madness weekend. So like there was one hotel room left in the entire town of Pahrump and it was not nice. It was very gross. Like, I don't want to touch anything and I'm covered in barf. (laughs) It's bad. Um, so I like, I literally don't have any, I have like my phone, no charger, my wallet, maybe a sweatshirt. And I go to this hotel, you know, get a cab. Luckily the cab, the guy like called all the hotels and found me a place, you know, get in bed, like checkouts 10 or noon or whatever. So at 10, I call the team and say like, Hey, you need to come get me. Like you have two hours, right? Until I have to be out of here. You know, I'm ruined. I've been throwing up all night. Like I'm just, I'm in bad shape. I can't walk. I don't have contacts in because I had to take them out. I can't see anything, no clothes and nobody answered the phone. So no, they didn't even respond to my call for at all. And so finally at 1130, I just text the entire team. Like, can somebody come pick me up? And somebody came and it's like, oh, you should just, you know, it's fine. Like you should just be understanding. I was like, yeah, when the security guard was yelling at me, cause I had to walk across the parking lot to a Kmart to get a phone charger to make sure that they could find me. And then I couldn't see anything. And I like sat down in the lobby of this hotel, <laughs> like trying to charge my phone and security comes in like, you can't be here. I'm like, am I, what am I homeless? I'm like a really nice dressed homeless person. <laughs> yeah. So that was all, you know, there's just like an, unfortunate experience well it's a it's um it's an abandonment yeah right like that abandonment yeah uh, energy yeah and i like like i said like even and so after the fact it was like trying to reconcile the whole experience with other people like i i felt bad enough for like my part like i let the team down but if you if i said to you i feel really bad i let the team down in this situation you the two of you, would you be like, you're right. You really did. You're kind of, you kind of suck. Like, would that be a response? And that's kind of the response that I got from them and from the people in charge of the team. And it was kind of like, and I had to go back and apologize to people on the team. Like I was actually asked to go back and apologize to people for my behavior. And I'm like, it's hard for me to reconcile that I was going through something really hard. And like I said, giving all of the like space for like, I didn't come into this as my best self and like, but even if I wasn't, not my best self, I still deserved care in that moment. And I think that that's like what happened afterwards was really just like the reaction I got, like that I never was apologized to for that, like by anybody. And that I was told that like 
all of it was almost like open season on all of the things that I how I failed as a human being kind of became the thing and I think that that's what ultimately made that situation really hard for me it was like I just it, it just turned into the situation where like I I I can't fully understand the perspective that I receive from other people. Like I'm pretty good at putting myself in other people's shoes, but like it just, some of the things that certain people said to me after the fact, I was like, well, one, like my teammates weren't informed what really happened. So like my teammates thought I was like selfish and just took a vehicle because I was bored or something, you know, I'm like, no, I was like told to go to the emergency room. So like communication, communication yeah. and misinformation and then just like other people's stuff coming at me in a way that like they have no self-awareness that they like almost unloaded their stuff on me in that moment. Like it just like it really messed me up. Yeah, I, I would think so. And, you know, when you look at this from the 10,000 foot view, right, like what makes us unique as humans is that we have unique perspectives. And sometimes those perspectives are so vastly far apart. Right. So you've got this experience where um you're down and out man you're like in this your body's falling apart you're by yourself you're in this crap er in this crap hotel in in this crap town and um you've got your perspective from yeah. that because you're wounded and you're hurt and then they have a perspective from from the view that they have yeah. right and so it's how do you make peace maybe you haven't or maybe you will maybe you won't doesn't matter but how do you make peace with the fact that those perspectives may never come together yeah. in a truce and i and that's the thing that for i stayed in that relationship for lack of a better term for another year and a half a year uh just over a year do you feel like you were but, holding resentment i i was wait well it was funny because after that like one of the people that i was asked to apologize to after that was like well can't you understand and give up this person grace and i was like you, can't you do that for me? Like, I don't get, I don't get any grace. Like I'm held to this standard, but somebody else is supposed to have grace. And I was like, so I stayed basically like waiting for this thing to like come up again, to have another conversation to like, because it was something that didn't have any resolution to me. Uh, and like when it would come up with other people, like in that organization, like there were things that I was held accountable for that like, I'm like, I literally have no idea how that's my responsibility. Like something that I, like something that somebody said on the internet that has, I'm like, I'm not even on that message board. How am I responsible for something that somebody said? You know, like things like that where it would come up. And I just kept waiting. And I realized, it's funny actually just realizing this moment that I have spent, that's also something that I do is just like, I, I know the answer. Like, I'm just gonna wait for you to come to it. Like I, I'm fine. Like I figured it out for myself. So I just want you to acknowledge it. And then you just like wait and you wait for your whole life. And like the person isn't going to come to you and mm -hmm. say that thing. No, so how do you make peace with that? Well, the way I made peace with it was leaving that sponsorship relationship. Just like realizing like this is like because I'm, do I'm doing all these things that are really unhealthy, bad habits of my own that are totally undermining my self-worth. Like they're good people. They're just not the right people for me. Like it's like nobody's wrong or bad no, it's like none of this is yeah. like wrong or bad or i think anybody's a terrible person 
maybe the person who didn't come back for me at the ER, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, but you know, it's like, I, I think they're all good people who doing the best, like we said, like doing the best that they could with what they have. But I think it's a mistake to think that like, all people are everybody's people. Like, you know, you have, and this is a close relate, it's a close working relationship and it wasn't the right fit for me. It wasn't bringing out, it wasn't optimizing my life. And I, and, and, and I in turn, like it became very complicated and then I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna be my best self for them because I'm probably trying to undermine that too. Well, it's, it's interesting because the universe will help you along. Like, um, for example, somebody, well, we'll just use BJ real quick. So BJ was, we'll just use BJ because I love to use BJ. God forbid I use myself as an example. He was in a, he was in a job that was like really clearly slowly not aligning, slowly not aligning, but he's not somebody that's going to give up. You're not somebody that's going to give up, right? I I think I've seen somewhere you said death before DNF or something like that, right? Yeah. (laughs) So you're not going to give up, right? And, and, but the universe will continue to make things more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable until eventually you have to take action. And there's three things that we can do when we find ourselves in that alignment that's misaligned, essentially. I I shouldn't use the word alignment, where it's just a relationship that's no good for us anymore. It doesn't mean that the, the other part of that party is wrong or right or that we're wrong or right. It just means that we're we're kind of out vibing each other at that point. So you can stay and endure which you did for a little while. Yeah. yeah. You can engage with it and kind of sink down and go into the battle or you can walk away. Yeah. And I, it's like, I felt like I had tried to engage in healthy conversation and like make my position known and like be vulnerable to, but it was like, and when, and I did do the endure thing because I'm like, oh, I'm really good at that. Like I can just, yeah, wow. I mean, still right. waiting for it to end. Yeah, so. exactly. But it's like, you don't, when you're in it, you're not thinking about it that way. Like you're, no. you're not thinking like, oh, there is an inevitable finish line. You're just like, I don't know when the finish mm-hmm. line is. Like, I'm just going to wait until just I like going. just burn it, up in space. It, basically. It's, a, it's a really slippery slope because we're athletes, because we're goal oriented, because we don't want to give up. It's such a slippery slope. And I think that that's where life will really um, kind of kick us in the butt where it's where we realize like it's okay to walk away sometimes from these relationships and the higher that we evolve in this life and we awaken and we start to heal these deep roots people are gonna fall away from your life yeah and it's okay exactly it's okay yeah and I think that that was one of the fundamental things that I had to work on was this idea that I was fundamentally alone so it's like that like actually abandoning people consciously or like walking away from a bad relationship is even very hard for me because like if my fundamental fear is that I'm completely unlovable and that people are just like literally like waiting to sprint away from me as soon as I turn my back, like to then actually have the courage to walk away from those relationships. Like that kind of tension was really hard because it's like I didn't realize the the, the way I felt about like my I was going to be abandoned. And then when we finally, like when I worked with Sasha about that, because I had an incident where I totally overblew something and I was like, like something having to do with my friend relationships. And I was like, what? Let's talk about that. Let's figure that one out because I don't know what that was about. Like to understand that I do have good reason for, I have been abandoned. Like when I put my coach in jail, all of the, the only people in the world that I thought were my friends abandoned me. Like, 
that's a really good reason to start feeling that way. But that didn't, I didn't realize that I just never let that go, right? Yeah. I have great friends. I have great relationships. I, I feel connected with the people I'm around. Like, I feel like I'm in the position where I can make choices about who I want in my life. But I had this old habit that was still guiding that and then I was like, well, I'm in it, right? Like I'm in the sponsor relationship. I was like, well, just do it. Just do it because you're already committed. Right. And I'm like, and, and, <laughs> and just and push, push, yeah. through push, through. The, push through, push through the abandonment <laughs> again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you see, like, yeah. and, and we were talking about this before we put the mics on, like you see how life just keeps serving you up <laughs> the same crappy dish of experience yeah. until you learn from but it. But do you see this as, because this is, really important do you see these now as opportunities oh yeah just totally and i mean up level i like i don't people think it's weird when i say i don't have any regrets in my life like there's nothing in my life good bad or otherwise that i would wish away because all of those things have been lessons and like i have become i like who i am therefore would i be who i am if you took any of those things away you don't know so it's like you have to be grateful to have survived them, to have gone through that, to have taken something away from it. And that's part of life. And so I don't like, I don't just hold on to like, I'm not bitter about that experience. It's just one of those things where I'm like, super weird thing that's just like hanging out there in the ether that's just kind of like, okay, I'm just gonna take what I can from that. My, the moral of the story is I will never be on a relay team ever again. But <laughs> 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 I take away from that. Don't ask. Don't want to be on it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's um. But it, as you know, you can heal without having that physical closure. Like we don't yeah. need a conversation or a face to face to heal the energy that's underneath it. And exactly. you're well on your way to doing that. And as you know, like there's always more. Oh yeah. There's always more. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just when you think you've got it mastered, it's like life's like, oh, just kidding. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's why, you know, we, we call it like a beginner's mindset where you're just always learning Yeah. and being just like awake and ready, right? Like. Yeah. You got to be awake in this world and you got to be ready for what's coming at yeah. you. And sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes it's bliss. And sometimes it's just super messy, unsexy, totally traumatic. Yep. And it's how do you navigate those kinds of things the same? Exactly. Like with this powerful neutrality. Yeah. With this um, calmness. I yeah. found that I used to think that being calm was like weak, but calmness is actually power. Yeah. It's so power to just be really self-regulated, to be able to take it in and then put it through your own filter yeah. and heal whatever needs to be healed whenever that's going to come up. Yeah. Right? Whenever that's going to come up. I um, also thought, you know, you're talking about being calm. Like I always saw self-care or being kind to myself as dangerous because I thought it if I like let down my guard that something bad was going to happen. Because in my life that has been true in formative parts of my life. So it's like I, I've always had this kind of like really like sense of like, I have to be on to the next thing. Like the idea, like even when I take a nap, I'm just like, I'm gonna lie down and feel guilty for an hour, you know? <laughs> like, and it was like even changing that perspective to actually seeing that in a different way has been really helpful to me. Just actually seeing not everything has to be, not everything should be stress. I mean, if you go to like a scientific level, like a body will just break under constant stress, but that's how I lived my life. And, and you've seen it in yeah, your body. Exactly. It's shown up in your body. Yeah. The physical evidence has yeah. been there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. Let's, um, whoo. 
is good. Shake it out. <laughs> okay, we're just gonna shake it out for a second here. Shake it out. Okay. So let's switch gears a little mm. bit. Um, let's talk about. So I mean, you've qualified for the Olympic trials. You're gonna go to the Olympic trials. Correct. When is that, and where is that? Uh, it's on Leap Day of next year. Yep. Uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Which oh, that's right. Is great for us mountain ultra running people because it's super hilly course and it's freaking a lot of people out because so the olympic standards changed so now for women you have to run a 229 30 in order to go to the olympics um before it was 245 and then for men it was 219 and now it's like 209 30 yeah so it's like everybody's mind's blown but so it used to be basically like Everybody at the trials automatically had the Olympic standard. So the top three at the trials would go. But now there's this complicated situation where if somebody comes in the top three and they don't have a sub 229.30, that they wouldn't be able to get to go to the Olympics unless the Olympic trials is designated an IAF gold label race, like a world marathon major. But right now it's a silver label. So they made the course, which has like 1,600 feet of climbing, which... Ultra runners are like, ha, cute. And like marathoners are like, oh my God, we're gonna die. So it's not a course that is a 229.30 course. Yeah. So but what's the course in Tokyo? Tokyo? I mean- Do they know that yet? I don't even think yet? it matters. It doesn't matter. No, They're because strictly it's, on time. Yeah, and so it just could be really interesting. So what if nobody makes the time? Because- Then we have that's no a, team. That's, that's a, a legit time, didn't they? Boston was a 209. This uh, weekend, yeah, there right? were two guys who, like, no American male until this weekend, other than Galen Rupp, had gone under 210 in a really long time. So it was, like, huge. So we have people who are now making mm-hmm. the standards. The other problem was they announced this, like, a month ago, and that means it's been, like, they have a year. So it only counts, the times only count from January 1 to, like, when the trials happen, which also complicated things, you know, for people who this actually matters to, like who are trying to go to the Olympics, all of them now have to figure out where to go to run a time within this year. So if somebody ran at a New York last year, doesn't count. Like it has to be in this window. So it makes it more exciting. Wow. Not for me because I just get to go. Yeah, but what, but, <laughs> but I mean, but what's it gonna, what's it gonna like, What's it gonna look like for you in Atlanta? Like, are you going for it? Um, I mean, I'll probably, so my plan right now, I'm going to London next week to run the London Marathon. Um, I'm gonna see what I can do there. I feel fit, you know, try to keep packing away at the PR thing. Um, I'm probably gonna do some more trail stuff in the summer and then like going up to the trials, I'd like to, you know, have a good solid block so that I could, I mean, it's a great opportunity to run my best. Yeah. Right? So I'm not going to like let that go by. Um, I, it's just knowing that like my best is still like 34th place, which in the world is pretty awesome. I mean, I'm not going to like undersell the fact that being 34th at the Olympic trials is whatever or 35th. I don't even remember. But, you know, exactly. <laughs> like it's a bit, it is like to me, it's like still one of my best races at the marathon. It's my best race at the marathon. And you distance. have every right to celebrate your badassness. I know. It's really funny <laughs> because like there's it's it's funny so i got a new car recently and i have like never i've been like oh i can't put a sticker on there i can't put a you know bumper well like a license plate holder on there and i'm like but 
is that like true for me? Like, you know, there's so much in our, in the ultra community. Like I have friends who are like, oh, I would never wear a race t-shirt. And I'm like, why? You know, and then there's like, you know, triathlete Ironmen who are like, I'm going to tattoo an M dot on my face, <laughs> you know? And I, so it's like, you have all these influences that are like telling you all of these different things. And like, where do I fall in terms of like my own accomplishments and like being proud of myself. And it's like, you know, I, I don't have to, un, like, I don't have to not be proud of myself. You know, like I can, right. like, I can actually be like, no, that was really cool. I'm really happy. I did that. And like, you know, like, so I, it's like I did Western States in 2016. So I get in the new car and I was like, I'm getting a license plate holder. I'm like, I don't ever need to do Western States ever again. But for some reason, that is what I wanted. And I was like, you know what? I don't care what anybody else thinks. That's what I want. Yeah, you and, know, if it brings you joy, yeah. do it, right? This whole Marie Kondo, everybody's like, you know, if it sparks joy, keep it. If it doesn't, yeah. throw it out. Well, that's life, right? Yeah. If it makes you feel joyful, don't be in the box. Yeah. You don't if it have makes to be you feel box. joyful, like get three Iron Man tattoos on your right calf. Like, that's great. That's awesome. Like, embrace that. <laughs> what yeah. a line. It's all about alignment. Yeah, but it's alignment. Like, but yeah. it's alignment. And I, and I think that right. it's a lot of, it's like, I don't know why there is a sense that I, I think it's where like ultra running kind of occupies in the sports world where it's like really easy to kind of undermine your own accomplishments, like in the bigger landscape of sport, you know, just by like, the nature of it being a bunch of weirdos running around in the woods for beer and belt buckles like to just be like well i did this thing but it's like not that big of a deal you know it's like, not it's not it's, it's still not, not it's not mainstream good yeah right. it's yeah. not good enough you know and then like you can like qualify i could qualify everything i've done ever like oh it wasn't i mean it's funny because the things that i have the most ease with of like celebrating are the things that like like the olympic trials like where it's like people understand that I don't have to qualify that or they don't have any assumptions about that. Like when in the first time I did two oceans, second biggest ultra in the world, like I was third and I was behind two Russians. Like that was huge. That's a huge race. Like I've been in top 10 at comrades. Like that is things that people understand. Like I, it, to me, it's easy. It's like, I, when I go to South Africa, you actually get in trouble if you don't know your exact comrades time. Like the hanging out with comrades, people be like, what's your comrades time? And they'd be like, I don't know, like a six. And they were like, what do you mean you don't know? It's like insulting, right? It's but here, like Iron Man a little bit yeah, too, yeah. Where you're so. like, but in ultra running, like you, people like kind of have this like, you know, like there've been certain things that I've accomplished that depending on the whim of the greater ultra running culture at the time, where it's like, oh, that's nice. You well, know? it's kind of like this. So being in the world of ultra running and also being in the world of Ironman, um, you know, you say you're a triathlete and the first question somebody asks you is, have you been to Kona? Right? Yeah. Because doing a sprint triathlon doesn't make you yeah. a triathlete apparently. <laughs> and then you can, and then people who go to the ultra runner world, it's like, oh man, it's so cool. Everybody's so laid back. And it's like yeah. these two ends of the spectrum. And it's like, again, it's, it's being in touch with what your goals are, yeah. the work that you're putting in and and what that end result means to you is your happiness contingent on that yeah or are you happy for doing the work yeah for the sake of the work along the way yeah and so a lot of people are gonna project because let's face it i mean i was one of them you were one of them like in bj i think you were one of them too like getting into endurance sports to run away from yourself yeah. right to kind of just feel good please god for a <laughs> moment let me just feel good yeah. 
and um or let me feel worse but let it be actually like my physical yeah and because of that i will feel worthy yeah um that there's a lot of projection and it's not just in sports it's everywhere yeah. you know and it's it's again it's perspective and people projecting their experience onto you and so that's why i think it's so important to to get into that inner world yeah because so many of us live with this with the outer world being more important than the inner world and her inner world is like it's perfect already it's yeah. so satisfied there's a part of you that has always been content undisturbed unshakable yeah but it's we bring in this whole outer world which is always changing and fluctuating and judgment and envy and support and love and hate and all of this stuff and it gets super confusing yeah but when we can just kind of get into those moments like you've had with Sasha where you just kind of like still and you're like whoa here it comes yeah and just have these really deep experiences with ourselves of true healing will get us back in touch with who we truly are that part of us that's just always unshakable well and i think it's it's not common for a lot of people to actually just celebrate the small things like you're talking about earlier yeah. with people who are like i only run 5ks and Gosh. it's like how many times have i done that to myself where like i'm only running marathons right now you know and i like literally almost just totally booby trapped my i just totally fell into the trap that i set about a month ago in that very thing <laughs> signing up for all these things that i didn't need to do because i was like oh i'm only doing this and it's like how can i preach other people like oh you shouldn't say it's only a 5k when I'm doing the same thing to myself like how do I get to the place where I deserve like if I think you deserve joy for running five miles at whatever pace like or 5k at whatever pace like how how do I not deserve that too right like and just to kind of use that position of like what am I reflecting to the world and then actually like take it and look back at that and saying like I have to do this for myself too right like I was thinking I over the weekend I was thinking a lot about like body image stuff you know being out like Sonoma and then watching the Boston Marathon and then reading this book that I was reading like thinking about these things and it's like how much of the things do I would I be willing to say but let me take a moment before I post something to actually reflect on if I if I'm actually living my truth in that and like actually have I worked through the thing that I want to reflect or am I just putting this out there because I want other like I want other people to believe that because it's for somebody else but not for me and I think that that's been really profound to be able to actually use even that medium to help myself grow just by reflecting like I think this thing but do I believe it and am I living it it's crazy you're getting that space too. Yeah. you've got that that space to hang out where I think I think we've all been guilty of just like posting something right away just yeah. to get that immediate reaction. Like, I wonder what they're going to say or I want them to look at it. Yeah. But when you get that space to kind of like just yeah. stew on it and just to see, you yeah. you challenge me with this a lot. Like, just think about that. Like, think about that before you yeah. speak. Like, before where's you write your, it down. like, where's your, where's it coming from? Yeah. yeah what's it, where's it coming from? Are you directing like, it who's at it the person? Who's it for? Who's yeah. it for? Who's yeah. it for is always a good question to ask. And I definitely like, so last year, uh, right around comrades so june time i actually i've been i had been on twitter since like the dawn of time right like i was a early adopter and i made the decision to get off twitter and facebook because i realized that like when it came down to it like i totally wasn't doing it for the right reasons like i was doing it for that like what it's designed to do which is like make you addicted to it and it didn't actually it wasn't serving me anymore and like and instagram's like i i kept on instagram i had sponsorship you know things that i had to do for that but like once i stopped being sponsored it like i did have that space to be like i don't like i don't have to share anything 
right? Like I don't, and I actually had this profound, I profound race a couple weeks ago where I told two people I was going to run a marathon and my coach was not one of them. Sorry, coach. Uh, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, I have 24 miles on the schedule. Like Oakland ma- marathon's happening. Like I'm just kind of like, I need to get out of my little ruts that I've been running. So like, I'm just going to like, I'm not going to put it out. I'm not going to put it out in social media and see how it goes. Like, how do I run when nobody's watching? And like, it was really interesting mentally to run in that way and to kind of like truly be free of like the idea that anybody knew about this. And I mean, I had to apologize to my coach because like my intent was like, I'll go run three hours. It's fine. Like I'll just, I'm, it's a hundred mile week. I'm tired. I, I'm, I'm that weirdo at the start line being like, I don't know what I'm going to run today. I'm going to run until I die and see how I feel. And sorry if I sound really dumb when I say that because I don't know. And I ended up running my fourth fastest marathon Of course ever. you did. Of course. <laughs> and like feeling great. I was just like so free. And like, I mean, I broke the course record by five minutes and I was like, it was like an amazing experience where I, I just like, and at every moment I had a choice where I was like, I was running with this guy and he was trying to break 245. It was going to be his PR. And I was like, well, I'm feeling fine here. Like we just ended up in stride and like talking or not talking, just going along. And I'd be like, okay, well, I, I might, I just... Fair warning, I might start running 7.30s any minute. He's like, can you at least tell me? Cause I'll probably start running 7.30s with you if you would just like go off the back. And there just came this point where I was like, like every moment I have a choice. Like I could, because like, I don't have any, I don't have anything to prove, but I don't have to. Like do, I could just choose how I, like, am I tired? Yeah, I'm a little tired, but what do I want out of, like, what do I want to learn from being tired right now? Like, uh, do I want to learn that I can hold my pace and that, if there's no mental noise, like literally that's possible. And like, I didn't slow down the whole way and we ended up running a 242 instead of a 245. I, see, I love that experience because <laughs> I have a lot of moments um, where uh, I'll, have a, I'll have an experience and I'll be like, oh, I need to capture this and I should post because I haven't posted in three days and I'm you know, new to Instagram and like, I need to build my following. And then I'm like, and I always say to myself, this is just for me. Yeah. Like soak it up. Yeah. Listen to the birds. It, feel the breeze. This is just for me, and that's okay. Those, have it just for you. Yeah. 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 Those, and that's power. And to have that, to have that present moment awareness of yeah. choosing and being in that is just so much. So much freedom. Power. Yeah. You nailed it. Freedom. Yeah. Like, and you can use that for for any. And it's it's a easily it's a confidence builder. Yeah. Right there. Exactly. In, internally up building you up inside to say like, there's no pressure in this whatsoever. So why can't I run? Exactly. Fast. Yeah. And this guy is here to challenge me, even though I may not realize it. Yeah. Like, he's like, oh, I'll, I'll slow down with you. And then you're like, well, do I have to slow down? Yeah. So questioning that, I find, because I've been doing it religiously lately, like this, this season of training, just questioning everything and being in that space where when I choose the, the path that I don't normally choose, I, I feel like my power, yeah, self-powerment, <clears throat> empowerment goes up, yeah. way up. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about like that um, kind of relationship to self in the realm of nutrition. So you just finished a great book and um, I had heard you talking about this on another podcast, which I really appreciated that, you know, diet, like so many other things, we can put ourselves in this box and not be paying attention to our relationship to self, how the body is feeling. And, you know, as an as a high level athlete, with a diagnosis of Hashimoto's, how have you, like, how is your 
relationship with nutrition evolved? Like, where are, like, where are you now? Because I know it's evolved huge, yeah. but where are you now with it? What's your perspective of it? And especially speaking, because I know we've got people in the audience that have this same diagnosis and are athletes and are just trying to figure out how to navigate it. Yeah, it's really fascinating because, like, when I really became a food person, um, I mean, when I played basketball, I was like McDonald's and whatever, you know, like normal teenage stuff. I mean, when I was at Fresno State playing basketball, I survived on Easy Mac and Teddy Grahams, like literally. And I mean, like I couldn't have cared less about food. Um, but when I got introduced to good food, like I was traveling abroad in London, I lived over in London and kind of like had these food experiences. I was like, wow, like there's like this whole different food world out there. And I became to re really love food. And then I became a runner and I was like, food, eating for like enjoyment and nutrition and why are these things, how are these things not connected? Like there's like, I couldn't connect them. Like I couldn't figure it out. So I went to culinary school in 2007, a nutrition program uh, here in the Bay area. And that un had the un unfortunate effect of making me what I think a, like it's more, much more mainstream now for people to become like super obsessed with like what's wrong with everything. Right. So like I was anti everything and granted it was the time of my life when I, I have had lifelong gluten intolerance. Um, and I, so it was when I went to culinary school is the first time I actually was introduced to, um, that, like that concept of that. And finally went to the doctor and the doctor's like, yeah, this has been your problem your whole life. And I was like, then why were they feeding me cheese sandwiches when I was a kid? Like writhing in agony, <laughs> like <laughs> diary every day of my life. Like, why are you feeding me a cheese sandwich? So like, but I went from the perspective of, I want to marry like gourmet and nutrition and like make this possible to like, almost to that, like what I would, I was actually thinking about this before you came here was like, I almost got to the state of being like orthorexic because I was so immersed in the nutrition. Like I just like every, there was something wrong. I could find something wrong with everything and that's not healthy. So like I was, I mean, I was vegan, gluten intolerant. I didn't eat gra grains. I basically like ate vegetables and I like just obviously like I felt great for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Love that air. Uh, but you know, like ultimately, and I, you, you mentioned this earlier about the idea of doing it for health. And I was like, I'm choosing this because for health for right now, it feels great. My body's responding to it. I'm running great. If that stops being true, then I'll stop. And when it stopped being true, I was like, but I've defined myself as a vegan and whoa, those are like those tire things. You know, you try to go back over them when they'll, and they'll pop you. You're like, the vegan community can be kind of scary. Intense. Like I Google other people who stop being vegan and you're like, oh God, I could never stop being yeah, vegan. There's like YouTube videos <laughs> yeah. about people who have stopped being yeah, vegan. And, yeah, and you know, and I was like, actually nobody cares. Like this is <laughs> like 2008, like <laughs> nobody cared. But but I, I still was constantly like almost trying to solve my problems through nutrition and like I it's I've been on like various protocols over time because I was always trying to fix my guts and like my no matter what I did like gluten-free for 12 years like nothing was working you know I still ended up with Hashimoto's like I just really had to <clears throat> it was actually funny because last so I was on the autoimmune protocol last year which is like the most restrictive diet you can be on that's n not anorexia <laughs> basically you're still eating you're just like limited to two things and nothing got better like in fact things got way worse and 
I finally, you know, I started bringing back. I was like, well, that's not going to work. I'd rather feel nourished mm -hmm. and just being the normal I accept, which is like, you know, day-to-day GI problems and, you know, ongoing problems with Hashimoto's versus like, this is doing nothing but making my life more miserable. Um, I actually asked Sasha, I was like, okay, so I feel like, you know, I have, I'm working on my second nutrition, actually it's my third nutrition certification. And even I'm like, what is the best diet? Like what, it, what should, what is the goal, right? And she was like, the goal for any, every human being is to be as, as inclusive as possible. Like you want to have as many things that are possible within like your beliefs or whatever. Like you want to not be restricting things. Like there shouldn't be a good and bad list. Like it should just be like diet culture and health have become intertwined in a way that is just like not true. And like unraveling that for me where I was looking for information about nutrition and what I was really getting was a lot of diet culture information and things that are like people trying to sell you something, people trying to just exert control in their lives. And what I finally, you know, when she said that, I was like, oh, I kind of felt, you know, feel that way. Like I've done this, like before the uh, Olympic trials in 2012, like I was on a whole 30 and yeah, I felt great. Like, but I was very stressed out about like being compliant. And like, when you're not compliant, you're a terrible person. And so over the last year, I went from what is, what is everything I can eat? Like when I eat something, if I feel terrible, then maybe I'll only eat it once a year. Like last year on my birthday, my gastroenterologist was like, I want you to uh, eat pizza and ice cream for like a week. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm gonna feel terrible. You know, like we, I mean, on my birthday, we went out and had pizza and ice cream and like, I didn't feel great, but I didn't like die, you know? Like, should I close the door? Is that gonna? Oh. The leaf blowers? No. Okay. <laughs> Fine. I'm you like ambient noise. <laughs> it must be nap time. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I'm so in, I'm so just engrossed uh, in what you're saying. I, I know. I'm just, I'm just like, who has that many leaves in my neighborhood? I mean, no. they are like always here. And because we're crap interviewers, it doesn't really it doesn't really matter. You can edit, you can, you can edit it out. Um, so I had my so I'm 36 years old, and last summer I had my second colonoscopy and third I was. And I've had also had an endoscopy in my life, right? Like I've had all of these procedures for my stomach and you know, it's always like, we don't know. And so after that, uh, he found what he thought was Crohn's in my intestines. And then the biopsy showed that it wasn't Crohn's, but nothing in science explains having the appearance of Crohn's without it being Crohn's. So he's like, I'm just confused. So he's put me on the, the medication for Crohn's for a month. And after that, my stomach, like I suddenly like, oh, all these things that I was like, I can't eat. Like the inclusive diet that I was trying to have, like so many more foods felt better to my body. And instead of being like, well, I had these rules and I said no to this and I self-defined by these, like this shtick, I was like, how would I just eat what feels good and what is gonna nourish my performance? And actually I started working with a nutrition coach for Houston because I'm like, it's like why I have a running coach. It's like, I'm gonna do the, like, I'm gonna just be biased. And so I put it in the hands of somebody else. And it turns out that I was, I'm eating the right, like I'm, I eat a healthy diet. Like I like kale, I, you know, I drink smoothies. Like I, 
I love sweet potatoes, but I actually was eating a really low carbohydrate diet. And while that might be good for the masses and like tons of people are, you know, balk at the fact that, oh, well, low carb is the way to be or whatever. And I'm like, I'm a runner. Like I run a hundred plus miles a week. Like there is no reason I should be depriving my body of this fuel, like accidentally or purposefully. And so I fundamentally shifted like my perspective on how I was eating. And I stopped thinking of things in, in, I stopped moralizing food, which I think is what a lot of people do. Like, this is good. This is bad. It's like, that just doesn't exist really. Like that's all just labels we put on things. Like, yeah, you probably shouldn't exist on Whoppers, but you know, like, I don't think if you tried to eat Whoppers every day or some other candy every day for every meal, you would not feel good and you would stop doing that naturally because your body wouldn't like it, right? And that's one of the things that that, the book I just finished talks about is like, your body's actually really good at self-regulating. And if you nourish it correctly, like if you have an overwhelming craving for something, it's it's actually a, a language that your body is trying to tell you something. And like, it doesn't make you weak. We, we have this thing about control. Like, I think a lot of people think if I don't like hold on to my nutrition and diet, like with a stranglehold that I'm just going to get obese. And I'm like, yeah. and it's like very prevalent in the running community. Like, you know, people are just trying to disappear in front of our eyes. And it's like, that's just like, why are we doing and that? And still perform well. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, for me, like part of the reason I'm performing well is because I'm actually fueling my body the way it needs to be. And it's like, and I get to enjoy it. Like I eat pancakes like three days a week. Like if you had told me that like a couple years ago, it would have been like, I'm horrified. Like I would just have defined myself by this like moral, like status that I, you know, did because my diet's so pure and wonderful. And it's like, that's just silly. Like I was just doing that to, for, it was like for no reason. It didn't actually serve a purpose. So would you say to people that it's about like just dropping those hard lines? Yeah. Dropping the hard lines and experimenting with yourself. And what do you think about um, mindset? So like let's say you want to have those pancakes and you know maybe before you would have thought it was like a you know a crime to yeah. have those and that you should be punished for them. But if you go in and you have those pancakes and you're like, I can't wait to eat those pancakes. Like, I'm so excited for pancakes. And you're eating the pancakes and you're enjoying the pancakes. And afterwards, you're living a guilt-free life. As opposed to, I'm going to eat these pancakes and I'm going to pay for it. And I I should pay for it because that was a stupid thing to do. So how much is mindset tied into what you're eating and putting in your body and how your body receives it? So there's this great study that she, that's called the milkshake study um, that uh, the author talks about in the book. It's where... So this group was put into two groups and one group was given a super decadent, extra calorie, extra wonderful, high calorie milkshake. And the other group was given a low calorie, unsatisfying, whatever, whatever, whatever. Shit shake. Shit shake. (laughs) (laughs) When the reality was they were all getting the same milkshake. So it was really fat. They wanted to study like how did people's biologically react to just believing that what they were eating was different. And the people who had the decadent treat had less and were more satisfied. Like they were just like, mm, that was good, good, I'm like good. They would have it and it was like, that was it. The people who had the low calorie were unsatisfied and just wanted more and more and more because they were telling themselves like, it's like they were just tricking themselves into thinking something that wasn't even true. So it's like, what they showed was like, just the way you assign 
So if you say what you like, what you're talking about, like these pancakes are bad for me, like your body receives that information. And it's funny because the, the thing that she talks about in terms of cravings, that's a lot of what she goes into is like the greatest way to get rid of cravings is actually to give into it or to actually allow yourself to be like, yes, I have a bag of chips in the closet. And if I want them, I can have them. And it actually, so you stop, because I've noticed that with myself in my life is like the more I say something's off limits, like if you put it in my sphere that I will, I will like, I can't have chocolate in the house. Like I'm one of those people who'd be like, I can't eat. I don't understand people who can't eat, who don't eat just the whole bar. I eat the whole bar, right? Like who can eat one bite of chocolate? And I've become the type of person that's like, oh, I can eat a bite of chocolate because there's no scarcity, there's no judgment. Like it becomes this like shame spiral. You're like, well, if I'm gonna have one bite, I'm gonna have the whole bite and then I might as well do whatever, as opposed to just making food neutral. And I think that that's what it comes down to. And it's like food can be like, everybody knows like eating a meal with friends is like so wonderful and you enjoy it. And like, you're actually like, you don't necessarily stuff your face. You're just having this experience. It's so wonderful. Like, why do we make food into this like where we work out all these unresolved things it's like that's just so unnecessary and it makes like you can make a smoothie unhealthy by just the way you think about it like it's really so much about how you're approaching it and the allowance of it it's like since i opened myself up to say i can have whatever i want like have I suddenly like just started eating mcdonald's every day like no i haven't eaten mcdonald's since i was a kid like it doesn't change who I am it just means that if I want something there's no anything about it it's just being like oh I'm actually gonna like what you're talking about earlier like I'm actually gonna allow this good thing for my body because it's nourishing my body and if I am having an overwhelming craving for ice cream maybe it means I need something that exists in ice cream so maybe I should eat real ice cream and not like well coconut milk ice cream but like maybe I shouldn't eat that <laughs> and like have whatever that is telling me yeah, and, and I, just in having that present moment awareness of what the energy is around that you're doing. So it's yeah. consciousness. Yeah. It all comes down to consciousness. And what you're talking about with food can go to sport, can go to, you know, how we look in our clothes, how we interact with other approach people. Approach our job. Our profession, mm -hmm. everything. And so uh, I, lo I love that. It, I love that milkshake study, too. That's amazing. <laughs> I think that's a great, it's great insight for people because it really is, what is the relationship that you're having with whatever it is that you're doing in your life in a moment? Yeah. Um, and well, so... Even if you think about, like, what we were talking about earlier, like how much time we spend thinking about diet and weight and our food like we as a society spend so much mental energy on this it's like how much more time would, it's like getting off social media like how much more energy would you have if you simply just let this be what it like naturally is supposed to be exactly i love it i love it and so um, I'm going to get this wrapped up. We've taken so much of your time already. I mean, I think we could talk Keep going. For, I mean, I, 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 I always break all the records on podcasts. Oh I'm like, God. just go all day. And I know our, our community right now is going, no, don't shut it down, Jess. Don't shut it down. But one of the things that you, you guys, you don't have to shut it down is that, Devin, you are now offering coaching and you're offering nutrition coaching. Yeah. And so... And I love your philosophy. It's right there on, on her website. We're going to link to all that stuff in the show notes but how can people get a hold of you um i'm only on instagram so fast foodie is my name um my website's devinyanko.com so that has a email so you can shoot me a note there um so yeah i 
I love, you know, I love working with people. Um, I just started doing it. And for a long time, it was like one of those stories where I was like, I can't do that. I don't have a right to. And then I was like, but I have a lot that I want to share with people and I have experience and like where I feel like, and I'm doing certificate, like where I feel like, well, what if I don't know the science or whatever? It's like, so I can do that. Like I'm doing a master's right now to do the exercise science. Like it's all of that's possible. And so I just, I really found that I really enjoy, you know, being on Instagram and like sharing a thought is one thing, but like to really have an impact on an individual's life, it's just a way of giving back to the community. And I, I think that that's really important. Like running is just me out there in the woods. <laughs> like how can I actually like help make our community better? Yeah, and I think you have a lot of life experience that people can benefit from. And now that you're really moving into this self-worth, understanding that you are worthy and you have a lot to offer. Um, and getting the certificates and the, and the degrees and all of that, sure, that's great, but you already have everything inside of you. You said it earlier. Yeah. And I think I'm just a geek because I already have a master's degree and like, I, I just literally realized the other day that I might just be addicted to going to school. Yeah, but it, does it bring you joy? So <laughs> it my does. question, yes, it does. exactly. Right. It does. What is the energy and feelings around that? Yeah. Right, like yeah. what is your relationship to it? So, um, okay, one final question. So what a person out there who is kind of struggling with this like the self-worth and being defined by their times and um and 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 all of that just minutiae that we can get caught up in that can suck our joy out of life like what's a first step that they can do to start really realizing that they are so perfect right now yeah i mean especially if you're tying it into running like i i go back to one, like, what is my why? Like, why am I doing this? Like, why did I start doing this? And what was my goal when I was, you know, before I knew any better, right? Like at the starting line, the very first starting line, like, what was my why? And also one thing that's become really big for me um, recently is just actually defining my values. Like I literally just have a list up that's like, this is, this is who I am. Like, these are the things that define me. And so, when I struggle or have those dark moments or I feel lost, like I just go to that and say, am I like, am I living up to these things? Like just having like, how many of us have ever just explicitly written out our values? Like that's such a good way to come back to yourself is just being like, Oh, like, am I doing these things? Am I accomplishing these? Like, is this still serving me? And just kind of like, it's like a reset, you know, and just, it helps you un because like all of that that you describe is like that's all just this tangled web and it's, you kind of just have to step away from it as opposed to trying to untangle it and just say like let me just take a moment to think about my authentic self who I am and who I want to be and am I being that person in this situation and if not like what do I have to do to start taking the steps to change it Right. And when you feel misaligned, it's pretty obvious. It's just, are we willing to, you know, live that, that authenticity? And that has everything to do with just deepening that relationship with our inner world. Yeah. So um, I know that we're going to be seeing you on the starting line of 2020 Ironman Wisconsin. Woo! Yep. Everybody's like, why Wisconsin? I was like, why not Wisconsin? Yeah, why not Wisconsin? It's great. Gonna, BJ's done it, yeah, so did, he did can tell you a little bit ago. about yeah. the awesome course. Awesome city. Really cool. Yeah. Relentless Hills. Yeah. You're going to love it. Yeah. And we might just have to have you back on the show <laughs> when you're in the heat of your Ironman training. So thank you so much. This has been incredibly <laughs> insightful. Uh, I just have loved our time together. That's been thank really you. fun. Thank you. Thank you.